We're talking about temperature. And so let's look at this. John 15, 16, this is Jesus talking, and he's talking, uh, we find out later, he's talking to everyone who would believe. And in the New Living, I just, I read it from here because it just, it's real clear. It says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, and, and I appointed you. Now this is Jesus talking to every believer. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So now here we have a command from Christ. I appointed you to go and have lasting fruit. This is not, should this be a question to us? No. Should this be something that we wonder if we're called to it? No. He's called every one of us to produce lasting fruit. Every believer. Uh, does it matter if you're a preacher or not? No. He called every one of us to produce lasting fruit. And then in John chapter 4, verse 34 through 36, it says, Jesus says, because they're wondering, where did, did he get food from somewhere else? He says, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God. Now, I'm telling you, if Jesus' nourishment came from doing the will of God, then your nourishment also will come from doing the will of God. Now, what was the will of God that we just read in the other verse? To produce lasting fruit. So when we're about producing lasting fruit, there's a nourishment supernaturally and physically that's there for each of us. There's a nourishment there for our lives, a strengthening. He says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages. Good wages. Are you a harvester? Amen. Then you're paid good wages. Amen. God's got good stuff for you. Amen. And he says, the fields are ripe. The, the harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit they harvest, what's the lasting fruit from the verse before? The lasting fruit is people brought to eternal life. This is winning souls. We need to be about winning souls. We need to be about making disciples. Not just making disciples only. We need to be grabbing people, snatching them out of the pits of hell, leading them to Jesus. This is, this is what it's about. He says, they're brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike. And then let's turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15. Because here's the thing. Do you think that we are going to do the will of God? Do you think we're going to do the will of God outside of his ways? Not going to happen. You're not going to fulfill the will of God. You're not going to produce eternal life and eternal fruit in people in this world outside of His ways. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We've got to go about it His way. So I want to look at something here in Revelation 3 and verse 15. It says this, I know your deeds. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, 
I, for years, for years, I said this last week, for years I looked at that like this. Hot, good, cold, bad, lukewarm, medium, right? That's kind of where I, I stood at. Hot, good, cold, bad, lukewarm in the middle, but just based off of temperature. But that's not what this verse is saying. This verse is saying, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but lukewarm is the least. It's the worst. It's, no, we're not gauging it on a, on a physical temperature system. We're gauging it based off of the word of, the, of God. We're gauging it, and I understood it finally. I started to get it when I understood this. If I'm hot for God and I'm on fire for God, then I have the ability to light other people up and get them hot for God. And if I'm hot for God, even if people disagree with me, it's hard for them to argue that I'm hot right? Then I'm hot for him. It's hard for people. And truly, one of the things about love is this. If you, let's say that this is one of the funniest things. You ever going down the road? Oh, we got kids in here today. Um, you're going down the road, and let me just put it like this. You, you, maybe you make somebody mad, or maybe they just mad all by themselves, and they tell you you're number one, right? Going down the road, a little bit of road rage going on, right? One of the funniest things ever is to, when that person goes by, just smile and wave at them, right? Because they don't know what to do with that. Because now they're mad. They're, they are upset because you are not as upset as they are. And they got to, but see, here's the thing about love. They got to deal with love. See, somebody can come and do something to you and, and then you forgive them. They got to deal with it. They got to decide, what am I going to do with this love? What am I going to do with it? I mean, when you know that you know somebody wrong and they just go, hey, it's all right. I forgive you. It does something to you. On the inside, you now got to make a choice. Love makes you make a choice. And when you're on fire for God, it's the same way. See, a lot of times when somebody gets on fire for God and they come around somebody that's not on fire, either that person humbles themselves to catch on fire themselves or that person now has to make a decision. You know, why are they so on fire? They're hungry. I'm not hungry. I need to get hungry. And it, it makes them make a decision. It makes them come to a decision point. So when we're hot for God, when we're on fire for God, it does something to people. You know, there's nothing like the fire that starts to burn away all of the junk and all of the excuses and just move us to the place where we decide, I've got to make some different decisions. This is why God wants us on fire for God. And see, if somebody's cold, well, that's generally pretty easy to reject. If you're a decent person, somebody's basically a Satanist or something like that, most people have a pretty easy time going, well, I might not want the fire, but I definitely don't want that, right? That's where most people are at. But lukewarm, oh, that, there's the trap. There's the trap. What's the animal that you cook and all you do is just put them in the pot and you just keep raising the temperature on them? What? Did you say possum? <laughs> that was the best answer ever. Crab, lobster, stuff like that. 
See, that's the way we are as Christians. You move into a church that's just doing church like normal to the world, but not normal in heaven. All of a sudden, it's very easy, and they're lukewarm. Do you understand that if we're looking at that scale again, and we are a lukewarm church, we're doing the devil's work for him? Yeah. That's, that's, so we've got to make a choice. Either we're lukewarm or cold or we're on fire for God. There, there's no in between. Otherwise, we're doing the work. Cold, doing his work. Lukewarm, doing his work. See, lukewarm is comfortable. Lukewarm is comfortable. But fire makes people make a decision. If nothing else, it catches their attention and plants seeds for later. They'll come to watch that person burn. I don't know what they're doing down there at Boomerang, but that pastor's crazy for Jesus. Let's go watch him. At least he's entertaining. Right? That's good. I, he's nuts. He believes in miracles and healing and everything. I mean, he just, he, the joy of the Lord hits him. He laughs. He prays in the spirit. Who knows what he's going to do next? Praise God. At least we're on fire for something. I'd rather be on fire for something than be lukewarm. But the thing is, in the Word, there's so much to be on fire for because God is so good. You know, even in those scriptures uh, earlier, it's kind of like this. It says, even if you're a harvester doing what you should be doing, it still says that the wages are good. Even while we're doing what we should be doing, God still pays us in, in, a, in a sense. He still hands us good wages and joy. That's what that verse says. It's so, there's so much to be on fire about in the Lord. So much. So here's the thing. Are we going to be on fire if we do it man's way? No. No. And can we fulfill God's will doing it our way? No, we've got to look at God and say, Lord, what's your way? In order for me to get on fire, I'm never going to get on fire if I keep doing it my way, staying in my bubble, staying in my comfort zone. You are always going to be pulling me outside of my comfortable circle. You are always going to be com coming to me and causing me to dig and plant what I've been given. To whom much is given, much is required. You're always going to be causing me to take the potential that I have and plant it so that it can come up. That means I'm always going to be growing in him because I'm not going to exhaust him. Amen. I'm not going to exhaust him. So I want to show you something real quick. And uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just tell you uh, in 2 Kings 4 and verse 2. There's something about human nature. There's something about the corrupted flesh of man that constantly looks at what they don't have. In this story here, uh, you have a lady. It says, one day a widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? And the widow says, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. 
Now, most of us know the story, but basically he, he says, that'll do. He says, go borrow a whole bunch of vessels and pour the oil and keep pouring the oil. And uh, once you have all those containers uh, full, go sell it and you'll pay off your debt and you'll have enough to live on. So God gave them super abundance. It's an amazing miracle. But here's the question. She had a flask of olive oil. Why did she say nothing at all? You see, so many times in our lives, the devil is constantly shining the light on our inadequacies, on the stuff we don't have. Constantly. That's what he's doing. So many times in our life, we're looking at what we're not operating in. You know, uh, well, we, we don't have the fullness of the Spirit yet. I haven't ever laid hands on somebody and seen a miracle. I haven't done this. And we're constantly by our flesh or by the devil's doing. We're, we're trying to focus on what we don't have. Why is, it, why is it that God, you know, he says, look, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In other words, he will make full. That word supply there means he, he will take what you give to him and then he will fill it up. And so every single one of us, every one of us, if all we do is we simply decide, my God is a good God. All I have to do is give him me, be obedient, and turn towards him, and he will make the rest full. But see, even in the New Testament, you remember when they're feeding the 5,000? I put the scripture down. You can go and look it up. He's putting the 5,000 down. And they have a good bit of money uh, sitting there. It sounds like it's not enough the way that he, uh, or not a lot the way that they say it. But it's like, um, I think it's about three quarters of a year of wages. So if, you know, our, our wages basically average in America or in North Carolina, let's say that it's 25000 They got about seventeen or $18,000 sitting there is what it is. Now, he says, but how are we going to feed 5,000 people? And that was just the men, so that most people think there's at least 15,000 people there. He says, how are we going to feed 15,000 with this? And then watch these words that he says. He says, basically, how are we going to do so much with so little? See, again, Old Testament, New Testament, the flesh looks on what do I have? Really, what don't I have? It, it focuses on your inadequacies. It focuses on what I don't have. You know, Lord, I would love to just, you know, uh, pay off the whole building at Boomerang. I would love to, to just send missionaries on something. I would love to give towards, like Boomerang Blue Day, when we go out and we win souls. I would love to give towards the youth party. And I would love to do all of that. But all I have is not that much. And so the flesh focuses on that. It focuses on what I don't have. Instead of focusing on a God and a creator that is more than enough. El Shaddai. And saying, if I will be obedient with what I have, God will make up the difference. Amen. I just need to be obedient. Jesus takes what we have in our hand. And he makes it complete. Even in that story, Jesus basically says, you know, in the Old Testament, Elijah, he says, look, give me what you have. 
And then the oil continues to pour. As long as they had vessels, the oil multiplied. As soon as Jesus says, he says, what do we have? He says, got, got some uh, fish and some loaves. And then that's when they go, well, that's not very much. What he actually says is this. He says, but what good is that with this huge crowd? What good is that? <laughs> Jesus is like, give me what's in your hands. Give me what's in your hands. All of us have potential inside of us. All of us have something that God has to give. Even when we do the offering, that's why we give everybody an envelope. Even if they don't come prepared to give, by the time they walk in the door, they've got something that costs the church money. They can give it back. It's the beginning of their seed. It's the beginning of their planning. That's why we do that. that. That means everybody that walks in the door, they get a jump start in their finances because they're given a seed that they can go and plant. Praise God. That's awesome. But see, we've got to learn that what we have, although it might not look much to you, God can then take it and multiply and turn it into something. Today is, you know, Pentecost Sunday. And what really happened in Pentecost Sunday is there was a bunch of people that probably felt like they didn't have much anymore. But they gave them themselves, gave God themselves. See, Jesus, just like with the loaves and fishes, he takes what's in your hand and then he starts to break it and to multiply it and turn it into something. To take it and turn it into something. All he does, he takes your obedience and your faith and when we give him what's in our hand, he applies godliness to it. He applies himself to it and all of a sudden that thing multiplies and it becomes something to perform a miracle. And see, that's not just limited to a preacher. That's, the only limit is your belief in God as an almighty, all-sufficient God. If you know Him as that, then you will believe Him as that. But if you don't know Him as that, then you won't. That's why I'm preaching this message. Jesus takes what we have in our hand and makes it complete. I want you to see something. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 6. And uh, I tell you what, don't even turn there. Just look up here. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Because I, I wanna, don't want to take a bunch of time. After that, now this is talking about when Jesus died and he rose again, right? And in here, Paul tells us something that happened after he rose. He says, after that... Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren. So these weren't just strangers. These were people that became Christians. These were brethren in, in that uh, belief system, in the way. And he says, 500, but most of them who remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, some have passed away. So this is telling us that Jesus himself, once he arose, he showed himself to over 500. Now let's go into Acts chapter 2, or chapter 1, and verse 14. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And he says this, he says, These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brother. Let me just say this. You want an Acts church? You want an Acts church? 
Well, an Acts church was they were all with one mind continually devoting themselves to prayer and fellowship. You're not going to have an Acts church happen in your life until you start doing what the Acts church did. See, this is why we have the front lines prayer. This is why we have the life groups. You want to move up, which you should. Are we not supposed to be producing fruit? But you're not going to produce fruit if you get to the battle and you're not loaded with the Spirit of God. You're not going to be walking in higher level stuff if you haven't given yourself to higher level preparation. This is, we, we are called to produce fruit. This is a responsibility to whom much is given, much is required. You know, we want to have Acts, Acts church stuff in our lives and in our homes. But yet, how many of us are with one mind continually devoting ourselves to prayer and coming together and fellowshipping in that way? See, these are why we have these things is so that we don't just come one day a week and we get, you know, a touch. We want to walk in the fire of God. We want to walk in the fullness. We don't want to be lukewarm. We don't want to be cold. We want to be hot for God. We want to carry the temperature of God on us. That was a side street. Verse 15. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there together. Now, just stop right there. Where'd the 500 go? We're talking about a resurrected Lord. Just a second ago, we were talking about 5,000 people being fed by a miracle. And now we come to the place where it's time for the fire of God to be poured out on all humanity. They're coming together. They're having church. And there's only 120. Where are they at? I mean, it wasn't 50 days ago. Jesus showed himself personally, risen from the dead, a resurrected Jesus to over 500. Where's the other 380? See, this is just it. We start to focus on, because soon after that, Jesus goes up to heaven. He ascends to heaven. And then you kind of like this, well... Jesus isn't here anymore. I don't, you know, I just don't feel like I did when we were out there and he fed us. And, you know, you see, the, the life of a fire of God is not getting weary and well-doing. It's, understand, it's understanding that although we might not be seeing things like we want to see them, that doesn't mean God's not up to something over here getting you ready and prepared to take you to new levels in him. This is so important for us to understand that we don't need to be the 380. We need to be the 120 that doesn't look at what we don't have, but it looks at what we do have. Because I would say that the 380 and, and thousands more were basically looking around going, well, I just don't see. I don't see. I don't see. See, they're living by their sight and not by faith. But yet you've got this 120 because of their faith, their faithfulness, their patience, their diligence. You know, in Hebrews 11, it says God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. Thank you, Father. 
He's moving in your hearts right now. I sense it. He's moving in your hearts. Don't be the 380. Be the 120 that's diligent, that doesn't make excuse for being lukewarm, but finds reasons to be on fire. Amen? That finds reasons to be on fire. Finds reasons to be on fire. Finds reasons to be diligent. Finds reasons to be there and be a support and be a part of the vision. What would have happened if the 120 weren't there? What would have happened? The church as we know it, we would not know it. Thank you, Father. Just bow your heads for a moment. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, Lord, just move in hearts right now. Move, Holy Spirit, move in the hearts. Lord, light them on fire. Yeah, right now, you know, some of you he's lighting for fresh for the first time. And some of you he's relighting and you've needed it. You've needed it. I've needed some fresh fire of God. I can't stand up here and just tell you words. And back there in your seat, your heart starts to burn for the things of God. It's not possible to do except by the Holy Spirit to feel that draw. That's him. It's not me. I'm just being a conduit for him. Carrying the fire helps to light. Lord, light them up in Jesus' name. Light them up. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen. Amen. See, instead of looking at what we don't have, we have to look at what we do have. In John chapter 20 and verse 22, it says that Jesus came came in front of the disciples and now he had risen he had ascended to the father and now he says he breathed on them and he said receive the holy spirit and right in that moment they became born again right in that moment they became the first christians and they received christ so they had what did they have what did that 120 you know before Pentecost came before the Holy Spirit was poured out. Did it look like they were had much? No, their, their Messiah is gone. Their Savior is gone. The, the government seems to be completely against them. The 500 that saw Jesus, they're not there. The thousands that saw miracles, they're not there. It looks like it's a bust. But they didn't look at that. They looked at I have Jesus. I have a Savior. I have a Messiah who I put my faith and trust in. But they also had a command and a promise. The command was this in Acts 1, verse 1 through 8. It says, the first account I, com I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders... To the apostles whom he had chosen. He had given orders. He had given the command. 
To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of, of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The command was, don't go anywhere, don't do anything, don't start traveling to all the world yet until you receive this promise. Why? Because he says, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs. Uh, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But why should we wait? What, sh what, are what do we have to gain here? He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. You see, they had Jesus... They had a command to wait, and they had a promise that when that came, they would be on fire for God. And so they were being obedient. What they had in their hands was they had Jesus, and they had the choice to be obedient or not. This is part of the problem while the church, and on the average today, on the norm, this is why we've been walking and it's been steadily declining because we've been given the promises and we've been given a command, but we haven't paired the two and we haven't been obedient to what God's called us to. Because see, what do you have today? What you have today is this. You have the command in Ephesians 5.18. Be filled with the Spirit. You have John 3.16 and 17. If anyone believes, they shall have eternal life. And he didn't come to condemn them, but to set them free. So we have Jesus, we have the command, now we just need to be diligent to move into the promise. This is not something where we ought to go, well, if I feel like it, I'll do it. No, there's a command and there's a promise. We need the fire of God. What happened in Acts chapter 2? Verse 1 through 4, as soon as they took Jesus and the promise and they took that command and they gave their obedience to it, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled. They were all filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, and as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And then you go on down to verse 41, and it says, and then Peter goes on to preach out of this full, fullness, out of this fire. And he says, so then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Amen. Think about the increase. 120 to 3,000. They had a good day. <laughs> I'd like to see some of those days. Amen. You know what? We can. That's right. yeah. 
All we need to do is take Jesus, apply the command in obedience, and receive the promise. We need to be on fire for God. Not making excuses for it, but on fire with it. It's not a question of whether or not we should or not. It's not a question of being on fire. It's not a question of receiving Christ. It's not a question of receiving the Holy Spirit and then walking in it. It's not a question. It's a command. But then there's also the promise for each one of us. The first step of that is you just got to know him. You got to know Jesus. The first step of getting on fire for God is knowing Jesus. You've got to know him. You've got to take that relationship up to where he desired it to be and where he paid for it to be. You know, some of us maybe, you know, we've never known him, but we need that relationship to be where it's supposed to be. Some of us, uh, we've been walking through life and stuff happened and it, and it hurt. And all of a sudden we found ourselves some time later and we're, we've fallen back from that relationship. That relationship's not where it needs to be. Some of that, we just made wrong choices and we didn't choose God. We got lukewarm and all of a sudden we'd just been, we hadn't been on fire. We might have felt like we'd been doused with the water of the world. And then some of us, you know, we're just not sure where that relationship is. I'm not sure if I know him. But the first step to being on fire with God and following that command and then receiving the promise of God's good things and then uh, fulfilling the call to produce eternal fruit comes from us knowing him. So right now I just ask you to bow your head. And if you fall in either one of those three categories... Either one, you've never known him, but you want to know him today. Or two, you've fallen away from that. Be it something happened or be it that, that you just got lukewarm and you, you didn't walk the way that you knew to walk. Or three, you're just not sure if I know him the way that you're talking about, Pastor Brian. If that's you, I just ask you to raise your hand and hold it up for a second. Amen, I see that. Just keep holding it up. I see that. Anyone else, I see that. Amen. Amen, I see that. Anyone else? Just keep holding it up for a second so I make sure I see everybody. Anyone else? I don't know him. I've known him, but I haven't been walking in it. Or I'm just not sure. If that's you, would you just keep your hand up? Put it up now. Amen. I see that. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. So I just ask you right now, if you raised your hand, just stand up right there where you're at. Just stand up. Amen. Glory to God. And whether if you, if you should have raised your hand, if that was you and you should have raised your hand, I just ask you, stand up right now and come down here. Come down here. Come forward. Give him a hand. You know, I don't know one of us, I don't know one of us, not one person in this room that hasn't had a time where, where we slipped and went backwards some. Or we needed to renew that relationship where it got stale. 
But today you made a great choice. Now, if anybody else, if anybody else is saying, you know what, I need to be down there. Now's the time. Come now. I sense it on somebody. If that's you, if he's going, golly, I wish he'd shut up and just let me pass so I don't have to go down there. It's all right. That's one of the best things that you can ever do. And you know it. It's just the devil's trying to scare you out of what are they going to think? Who cares what they think? I tell you what's important is what God thinks. If that's you, he thinks a lot about you and he loves you. And the truth of the matter is, he wants to help your life. But in order to move into the help of God, we've got to do things God's way. And that means we have to confess Jesus as Lord and move to that relationship. So if that's you, come on down. And I just ask you, everybody, just, just pray this prayer. Just say, Father, Father right, now, right now, I receive your love. Receive your love. Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. You're the director of my life. You call the shots and I obey them. And right now, Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. And when he went into the grave, you brought him back to life. And when you raised him up, you raised me up with him. And I am now saved and born again in Jesus' name. Pray this. Say, Father, right now, Jesus, I ask you to baptize me, to fill me with your fire. Father, we just praise you. And as